All right, Hebrews chapter 12. If you found that, why don't you stand? We'll read together God's Word. Hebrews chapter 12. Come down the page. If you're a guest, we've been going through Hebrews. We're almost to the end of it. Hebrews chapter 12. We'll begin in verse 12, and we'll read to verse 17. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of our God stands forever. Let's begin right there in verse 12. Therefore, lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal, for you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would speak clearly through your word to your people, that your people, we as God's people, would live as God's people. Pray for every man and woman here that claims to be a son or daughter of God and yet are not living like that, Father, would you now awaken their hearts to live as a child of God? And help me. Father, help me to say what the Bible says. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> you, Sue, when you went to high school and you were 15 years old, you may have been in the 10th grade, Ninth or 10th grade, and there I was at Independence High School, you would begin something called driver's education. Now, driver's ed back then is not like it is now. Driver's ed back then was a class in high school you took for the semester, typically taught by a coach that did not want to be in there. <laughs> and he would take you out driving. This has been my experience. I won't name the coach. Some of you might remember him take you out driving and he would sit in the passenger side and you'd start the car and he would point and tell you where to go. There's not much instruction in driver's ed back then. Except this particular coach taught us that if you're driving your car and you want to light a cigarette, you can take your knees and steer while you light the cigarette. That was the course of my driver's ed. Going through driver's ed and actually driving the car are two different Things, especially if it's a standard transmission. A whole lot of my life, I wish I, uh, I wish I could speak Spanish. Going to Ecuador pretty soon, and uh, we'll be with all of those folks that speak Spanish, and I will not. I want to. I want to speak Spanish. I even go to Duolingo and come up with 10 Spanish phrases, but I can't speak, speak Spanish. It's one thing to want to do it, it's another thing altogether to actually do it. Sometimes I'll watch a YouTube on how to play the piano. 
I want to play an instrument. One of the regrets of my life is that I don't know how to play any musical instrument. I played the coronet, which is a little short trumpet, played it in the fifth and sixth grade and finally quit that. I'd like to be able to play the piano or the guitar. I, I brought that up to some of our more musically inclined people like John Stig Merton, and they laugh at me. <laughs> we don't have the kind of ability. It's one thing to want to do something. It's another thing altogether for me to be able to walk over there and actually play the piano. It's one thing to have information. <clears throat> you read chapter 12, come down from verse 4 to verse 11, and you read that God disciplines the people that he loves. It's one thing to have that conceptually. It's another thing altogether to actually live with a clear knowledge that God loves you. It's one thing to be theologically trained, to know good doctrine, to maybe even practice devotional living. It's another thing altogether to take all of that and have it come into your life. The passage in front of you is, is designed. Remember, this is a preacher. This is a sermon. What he's done for almost 12 chapters is give us doctrine after doctrine after doctrine. And then in chapter 12, he starts with the assurance, clearly help, helping us understand why did we go through the hard times? And that at the end of that, you see the word there in verse 12, it's the word therefore. Taking this passage in a thousand different settings and applying it to our life. Because God's people, me and you, truth of the matter is, God's people must live like they actually are God's people. You and I are called, members of Hickory Grove Baptist Church called to live as if we actually are. You know, in order to be a, a member of Hickory Grove Baptist Church, You've got to at least either be baptized in our baptistry or baptized somewhere else by immersion, which is a declaration that Jesus Christ is Lord. So theoretically, everybody that claims to be a member of Hickory Grove have said, Jesus is my Lord. God's people must live like we actually are God's people. In the passage, you can go through it. We'll just take the, let's, just take the, let's just take the verses and pull out practical things. What are eight practical actions that will help you live as a child of God? This is what I've tried to do going through this passage. I got eight of them. I had more. I whittled it down to eight. Somebody said you had a lot of points there. I did. I had more, even more than that. Let's make eight as we go through. Here's the first one. Number one, what do you do to live as a child of God? Number one, use the whole Bible. The whole thing. What do I mean by that? I don't mean just having a verse on your refrigerator or in your mirror or even tattooed on your skin. That is a fine thing to do. But when you read this passage, what this preacher has done, he's come to his people and he just set down all of this Bible this, this passage is amazing in its scope. If you look at verse 13, there you'll find, let's just go through it very quickly. 
Look at verse 13. There you'll find a quote from Isaiah, and you'll find a quote from Proverbs in verse 13. You get to verse 14, there you find the Psalms in verse 14. Verse 15 is Deuteronomy, is the law of God. Then you get to verse 16 and 17, and the, the preacher goes all the way back to the beginnings and foundations in Genesis. In fact, if you have a Bible that has footnotes, probably down at the bottom of the page, there's the apparatus that tells you all of the other cross-references that are in that passage right there. It is astounding. What you have there is the preacher quoting the prophets, He's quoting wisdom literature. He's quoting the Psalms. He's quoting the law of God. He's quoting the book of Genesis. He takes the full panoramic view of the Bible and says, this is God's message. It's the kind of theology we have. You have certain theologies. You have historical theology that tells you uh, how God works providentially through history. You have systematic theology that will sit down on one doctrine and bore deeply into things like the doctrine of God. But you have other theologies like, the, like biblical theology that gives us the story of God from creation, God's creation, to man's fall into sin, to redemption in Christ, to the consummation, the end of the age when Jesus comes back, and then the new creation, the heavens and the earth. As a person that calls yourself a Christian, it's important that you are using the whole Bible. That you've built your life on a foundation from Genesis that tells you exactly who you are by God's creation in His image. It is important that you understand that you were created in the image of God. That you have that. That you are aware of your own dignity because of God's creation, that you are aware of, of God creating a man and a woman. Look, this is not a political thing. This is a Christian thing. God creating us man and woman, doing so in His image, and Him sanctifying marriage as a creation ordinance between a man and a woman, that is not a cultural thing. That is from creation. It's good for you to get a hold of the creative order. You get that from the whole Bible. It's good to read the, the law of God in Exodus and Deuteronomy and the preacher quoted here. It's good to read that because the law of God reminds us of how far we have fallen. It reminds us that we can't keep the law. The law is designed in several ways to show us the will of God. The law is also there to show us our own sinfulness. The law of God is, is there to remind us of God's holiness and our sinfulness. And that despair is designed, the law of God is designed to drive us to the cross of Christ. Because Jesus Christ, what did he say about the law? Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill the law. So Jesus kept the law perfectly where we can't. The law reminds us we need the gospel. And then Jesus died as a sinner, although he wasn't a sinner, died as one on our behalf as a substitute that the law of God requires death for sin, Jesus took it. The law reminds us of the seriousness of the gospel that, that Christ has suffered for us. The preacher here quotes the wisdom. He quotes Proverbs. <clears throat> Proverbs are so important. The book of Proverbs, if you have small children, 
a good thing, for, or if you have adult children, a good thing to do is take the book of Proverbs, read the proverb, and pray the Proverbs for your sons. Written by a man for his children, Proverbs. You read that, and there's the wisdom of God. The, the wisdom of God reminds us of our need. You can take the Proverbs, there are 31 of them, uh, just pray through one a day for your children. Just add that to your devotional life. There when you read this passage, you have the Psalms. The Psalms remind us that they are, they are there for your own personal prayer life. Oftentimes when I'm leading the church in prayer, I'll use a Psalm. Why? Because this is David pouring out his heart to God. This is where we learn to, to come to God. The Psalms are there to remind us as the, the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul thirsts and pants for you, O God. There we're reminded that the Lord is our shepherd. There we are reminded that we are hungry and thirsty for God, that our sins are before God and God forgives. Take the Psalms. If you're struggling, honestly, if you're struggling with some, something that has you down so low, take the Psalms and pray through the Psalms. Or the prophets. Isaiah is quoted here twice. The prophets remind us of of having hope in a troubled world that Isaiah and all of the prophets, major and minor, lived under this oppression from outside forces and yet had hope in God. If you're going to live as a child of God, you need to use the whole Bible. Don't just tack it on. Don't have a verse or two that you quote. Come to know the story of our good God throughout the entire Bible. This is why we press it into our people. This is why we have reading plans. This is why it comes up. This is why every pastor on this staff is accountable to every other pastor on this staff every single day for our Bible reading. Use the whole Bible. Let me give you something else that will go along with this. Here's a second action step. Number two, fight depression. Fight depression. Sometimes it's overwhelming. Sometimes it's more than you can bear. Fight it. Sometimes it's beyond you. John Newton and William Cooper, two men in history, you can go back and look at their story. Their stories of William Cooper who battled depression his entire life. And John, John Newton worked so hard to help his friend. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's more than you can bear, but sometimes, sometimes it, there is to be some effort on your part. Look at this honest verse in verse 12. Let me just, let me just read it to you, verse 12. <clears throat> Therefore, therefore, lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. The therefore, now that therefore is very important because uh, this hinges. Therefore is built off of verses 4 through 11. In verses 4 through 11, there you're, we're reminded the Lord disciplines those he loves. A lot of you would say, yes, I am in fact his favorite. The Lord disciplines he loves. Okay, if that's the case, if God disciplines the people that he loves, therefore, you are loved. Therefore, with that love, lift them up. You see the imagery in verse 12? The drooping hands and the weak knees, staggering along, exhausted, Emotionally, just exhausted. That, that drooping hands and weak knees, some of you can identify so much with that. And, and the command is to lift up the drooping hands and weak knees. How do you do that? You, you base it on verses 4 through 11. God disciplines those that he loves. 
that this idea in verse 12 is somebody that just has, has been going along and is just paralyzed now. And you feel like you're not even any use anymore to God. They're useless to the kingdom. How do, we, how do we at least take some steps to come out of that? Now, sometimes, you just, sometimes it's so heavy, you're going to need some help getting out. But how do you, what is, the, what is your responsibility when you are faced with this sort of uh, what Winston Churchill called the black dog? What is your, what can you do? A couple of things to think on. I want you to think on the love of God. Think on the love of God. Think how God has loved you. This is why the Bible is important. You've read the Bible. You know the story. Think on how God has shown love to you. Think on, here's the second thing, think on the cross of Christ. How is your doctrine of salvation? Think on what, what God has done for you in Jesus. Think on the gospel. Apply that to your heart. Think on who you are in Christ because of the cross of Christ. Think on, here's another thing to think on, think on the hope of heaven. Sometimes things are so bad here so that you will long for there. Sometimes things are terrible here to remind you how much better it is there. Or, you know what you ought to think on? Think on the joy of forgiveness. It feels so good to be forgiven. Doesn't it feel good to know that you're forgiven? Have you ever carried the guilt? Have you ever walked around with guilt in your heart and mind for something you've done and then have that removed and lifted? Think on the joy of forgiveness. Look, think on the fellowship of the church. Now, church, this is where John was right. He opened up and talked about how we've come together. Think on how the church has loved you. You have brothers and sisters that want to walk with you. So, sometimes that depression you can't help. I'm not saying, certainly not saying it's your fault. I'm saying there are some steps you can take that sometimes... It does require some effort on your part. Now, let me flip that over a little bit and say, this also could be a command to the healthy-minded people in the church to make sure you are coming along those whose hands are drooping and whose knees are weak. We are called to help brothers and sisters. So we use the whole Bible and we fight depression. Let me give you a third thing. I gotta, I gotta keep moving. A third thing. Number three. <clears throat> Number three, be smart, be smart and compassionate. Hold these two things together. Smart for you, compassionate to others. I'm gonna show it to you, verse 13. <clears throat> and make straight, make straight paths for your feet. What for? So that what is lame or injured may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. That, that has hints of Isaiah chapter 40 uh, where preaching makes straight and bring down the hills, lower up the valleys, the way of the Lord, this straight idea, but he's applied it to our own lives. It make a straight path. You might even interpret that word straight. Make a smooth path. So just, just interpret it literally. If you're building a road, you want to get all the rocks and the boulders out of the way. Our hearts and hammers, uh, men build lots of ramps for people in their houses, have wheelchairs that can't get up to the door. You need a smooth ramp. You want it to be as flat as possible with no obstacles. 
If you walk through the woods, oftentimes you'll see paths that twist and turn. Animals make those that are, and a natural path is, is avoiding obstacles. The idea here is not necessarily avoiding. The idea here is making it a straight flat, doing the necessary things, confronting. You're building a railroad, the Transcontinental Railroad, came across the country and to get over to the California coast, you got to go through mountains, blasting them out. The, the command is one to take seriously the problems that are in the way of your straight path because what's at stake here is you're not actually being able to walk. This is the idea of, of a straight, smooth path being, being prepared with a whole lot of effort. So be smart. Get rid of it. Get rid of the obstacles that are in the way of you walking a straight path with the Lord. Get rid of the stumbling blocks. For some of you, that means get rid of the people that prevent you from flourishing. Get rid of the wrong crowd. Do the hard and diligent work of making sure that your path, this is a call for God's people to be God's people, making sure that your path is clear and straight. So prevent some stumbling. How do you do it? You prevent some stumbling. Some of the stumbling, some of the sin we fall into is our own fault. So you just be smart. What are the things in your life you need to be smart about that you need to, that you need to maybe not pay as much attention to this person or this show, or this event. Be smart. Straight path. But also be compassionate. Verse 13 has this corporate feel to it. When I say corporate, I mean community feel. This has, it has this congregational feel in verse 13. <clears throat> Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame, you might even say, so that who is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. You can walk therapeutically and get stronger over the course of time, but maybe we have brothers and sisters that are not strong enough to walk by themselves, and our job is to come over there and put his arm up over my neck. We have friends that have, you see a brother struggling, you see a brother hurting, you see a brother going through a hard time, someone that's, that's lonely, someone that has been sinned against or, or a brother that's fallen into sin or just or the, that's just weak. We come and we apply the gospel and we do a fireman's carry for a little while until the healing happens. Until she's strong enough to actually do it on her own. The, the gospel demands this. So a question I might ask is, are you... Are you being smart? Are you living smart? God has given you a brain to think clearly about how you can best serve the Lord and not fall into sin. What are the stumbling blocks that you right now need to carve out? Get, get rid of them. Or look around you. Maybe things are going okay for you. Are you being compassionate? Is there someone you need to take the next step and say, brother, let me help you with that? Be smart and compassionate. Give me a fourth thing to consider. Number four. <clears throat> and that is to fight for Peace, fight, which seems an odd way to say it. Fight for, now that I'm thinking of it, fight for peace. I'm sure I get that. 
You'll see the word strive in verse 14. Strive, that word strive, to pursue, to go after, to be aggressive about, to be intentionally peaceful. Let me read it. Look at it clearly. Strive, look at the words, for peace with everyone. This takes some effort. This takes some intentionality. This is also the... Words of Jesus, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. This is the words of Jesus in Matthew 5 when he tells the crowd, when you are making your offering and there while you're offering your gift at the altar, you remember that your brother has something against you. You leave your gift at the altar. Go make peace. Be reconciled to your brother. Then you can come back worship. Paul wrote to the church at Rome, and he tells them in Romans chapter 12, if it is possible, as much as it depends on you. Now, there are lots of conditions in there, aren't there? Because you can easily say, hey, I've tried and tried and tried, and that person just will not give me the time of day. The, the point is you strive for it. You live peaceably. I mean, even in marriage, and Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 7, when he talks about a believer uh, living with an unbeliever, somebody gets saved, and you're living with an unbeliever, and Paul's says, Paul says, you stay there. God's called us to peace. Now be careful, not at all costs. We, don't, we are not peaceful at all costs. We do not compromise truth. We just don't weaponize truth. We don't compromise the truth. We just don't turn it into a battering ram. Keep our eyes focused. So, so just a, let's go down the ladder of peace. Put in your mind a ladder of peace. Do you have peace with God? you have peace with God? Have you given your life to Christ? You've believed the gospel. you received it. You have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Do you have peace with God? Okay, come down the ladder. Is there peace in your home? In your home, nucleus. Is there peace there in your home with, with the people you live with? Um, is, is there peace there? What's it going to take to bring peace? Probably humility. Most of the time, it's humility. To humble yourself before God and humble yourself when it comes to understanding your own terrible faults. Peace with God and peace at home. How about at peace at ch church? Are you part of the peaceful movement of the gospel at church? Would you be considered someone who has invested herself in the church? Are you serving somewhere and are you giving? Are you giving to the church? It's always discouraging to know the percentage of people that, that come to any given church, that come to Hickory Grove and don't actually give. Are you peace with God, peace at home, peace with the church? How about with your friends? Are you Peaceful with your friends as much as it depends on you, showing hospitality, giving patience, pointing to Christ. Are you peace with the world? Come on down the ladder. Peace with the world, the people that you don't really know but are your neighbors. You see them as the mission field and not as the enemy. Paul talks about peace. He gives us the recipe. He says, be anxious for nothing but in all things. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and something's going to happen. Peace of God that surpasses all understanding 
heart and mind in Christ. Fight for it. The preacher's closing his letter. Fight for that peace. Let me give you a fifth thing to consider. A fifth action, number five, that is to work. Work for holiness. Work for holiness. Join me there in verse 14. It's the um, striving. So we're striving for peace. That's, that's with people. Strive for peace with everyone and, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Holiness. It is, um, <clears throat> this can be confusing because as Bible believers, we believe that God has transformed us at the cross, that, that we have sort of an already not yet. We are already already made right in the eyes of God. We are not yet who we're going to be in heaven. To be holy means to, to understand that you are set apart for God in Christ. Don't get the idea of holy as you walking around piously and being some sort of legalist. Holiness is something, it's a, it's a transformation on the inside that has effects on the outside. It's salvation taking root and actually going somewhere into sanctification. And we got to work. It's, it's you actually taking your relationship with God seriously. That the driving passion of your life actually becomes you want to honor the Lord Jesus above all else. That you start questioning everything through the lens of holiness. That you ask God, is this honoring to you? Yesterday we were standing in the kitchen before the 5K, Connie and I regretting our decision to be a part of the 5K. And we're talking for, and I just happened to say as I was getting my last cup of coffee before we left, hey babe, as I'm praying for you, what are the things you'd like me to pray for you? What do you mean to pray for you? And her answer is pray that for my own personal holiness. Pursuing holiness. Let me give you a sixth one, a, a, a practical step. Number six, and that is dwell on grace. Dwell on grace. Everybody here could use a little more grace. Every person sitting here could probably use some encouragement and strengthening. See the phrase, verse 15? Pay attention to the first, first phrase there, verse 15. See to it. See that? See to it is the uh, phrase. That it's, it's a word. Episcopos is where we get the word Episcopal church. It's where we get the word bishop or overseer. It's saying to people in the congregation, you take care of one another. See to it, verse 15, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. What does that mean? Because the grace of God is free. God gives it freely. The grace of God is, is there. The grace of God is not something I can earn. What does it mean to fail to actually attain the grace of God? means to, to appropriate, see to it that nobody in your circle of friends, see to it that nobody that you are accountable to or is accountable to you, see to it that they don't fall short, that are living less than they should. We are to swim in God's grace and live in God's grace and rely on God's grace and apply God's grace 
to your own soul and to others. See that they're coming to the goodness of God. It is there. It is available. It is free. So that you are, in fact, I tried to explain it in our prayer time this morning. When we confess our sin to God, we don't just stop there. What we're confessing also is that our sins are forgiven in Christ. Keep pressing to the grace of God. Dwell on grace. Let, let your reputation become that you are actually a person of grace. That's one side of verse 15. The other um, practical application is to kill bitterness. Bitterness. You see it in verse 15? See to it. Let that phrase be. See to it. Make sure you know a friend that's bitter. Verse 15. See to it no one fails to obtain the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up, causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Look, brothers and sisters, we got to kill. Bitterness is different than anger. Bitterness is, uh, I heard one preacher say, bitterness is like, bitterness is like drinking poison hoping somebody else is going to die. Bitterness is not like anger. Anger shows up and it's expressed and then it goes. Bitterness is underneath. It's the word root. The root is underneath the ground. And oftentimes the root can grow and you don't see the root growing. It's quietly spreading out. Quietly underneath the ground that you're standing on. This root of bitterness. But at some point, that root of bitterness, that, that, that poisonous, I mean, even the way it's described here in verse 15, that it's going to defile, that it's a rot, that that fruit shows itself. It shows up in relationships. It shows up in attitude. It shows up in morale. It shows up in the atmosphere. You ever lived in a house with somebody that's bitter? It stills joy. It dishonors Christ. It poisons the church. Bitterness left unattended is it will rot you on the inside. And, and the preacher's saying, look around you. You see somebody, you see to it. You see to it that somebody with bitterness, you go there to that root and you help them kill it. That bitterness has to be killed. It can't be managed. It can't be petted or tolerated. It has to be killed. We've got to take it to the cross of Jesus, stand at the cross of Jesus, and let the poison of bitterness pour out, be healed by grace, and leave it there. We've got to kill bitterness. I'll give you one last one. What is a right action step as God's people? Number eight. And that is reject shallowness, shallowness. Esau, shallow. See him there? He's the example. Verse 16. <clears throat> that no one is sexually immoral. Just, here comes the list. So sexually immoral. No one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. Here comes the shallowness. Well, you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. 
What, what, what do you have here by way of shallowness? We don't live like the world. So the one is don't have lax. Here's the first. If you, if you need some enumeration, don't have lax standards. Verse 16, see to it that nobody is sexually immoral. That word sexually immoral is the word porneo. It's where we get porno. That's, that's the word. Whatever kind of sexual immorality you want to come up with, it, it's under the banner porno. That's what the text is saying. See to it that you're not a part of that. It's not living as a Christian. It's living like the world. The Bible says that our body is a temple to the Holy Spirit. That's how pagans live, not Christians. Or maybe, that's, maybe it's not that extreme. Uh, he uses another word here, verse 16. <clears throat> see to it that no one is sexually immoral or unholy. You see that word unholy? That really is not just evil. It's not, not necessarily evil. It's just having a carnal, carnal, worldly outlook. Yours might say irreligious. It's just saying I don't care. I heard a preacher the other day, and I think he's absolutely wrong, talk through his whole sermon about carnal Christians. And let me just tell you, there is no such thing. Doesn't exist. Carnal Christian. The call is, you've been transformed. Live your life under the lordship of Jesus. Without the worldly values in verse 17, that's the point of verse 17 is Esau, he, Esau valued the immediate and the tangible over the long-term and the intangible. This whole passage, as he wraps up chapter 12 and headed into the end of this sermon, is reminding us that God's people must live like we actually are God's people. As we bring it to a close, I'll ask a couple of questions. What, what needs attention in your life? What needs attention? Using the Bible, fighting depression, being smart and compassionate, killing bitterness, dwelling on grace. What needs attention? And you, for you to be seen as a, as a, as a child of God, what needs to change? Do you need help? God is here ready to receive as you turn to Christ. Will you join me as we pray together? Get the heads bowed this morning as we go to the Lord in a moment of prayer. We're going to sing one more song. As we sing, there are a lot of you that just need to sing with joy to the goodness of God. The goodness of God you've been reminded of today. Some of you need to come forward and just spend a moment or two praying because you've been, you, something's come up as I've preached. Maybe you'd like for someone to pray for you. Maybe you just need to sing there in the pews. You just need to sing and ask God to help you. And possibly you'll need to know what does it mean to actually be a Christian. It's a longer conversation that we'd like to have with you either here at the front or out in the lobby. Father, thank you for the reminder of your grace and goodness. Help me. Help us as your children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.